time to add some spice to your nooner. Nooner. <laughs> Funny. This is the place where big-time guests, bold opinions, and little cute doggies come together. This, this is Rothman and Ice. All right, we're back at it. Rothman and Ice. The Iceman is on ice somewhere out in the desert. CB swims over from the producer aquarium into the main ocean. Welcome, my friend. Anthony, thank you for bringing me on, man. Yeah, no, uh, Matt's going to have a nice week or so. Is it a week plus? He slipped something in there, which was, I think, a veteran-type move. Uh, Coach behind the glass, he's at the controls today, so we got you covered. Wait, wait, what did you call him? The coach, Hayden. Oh, I was not aware of that. I've never heard of that. call him the coach. You know, Hayden Fox kind of situation. (laughs) There there you go. I don't know if you got that reference, but maybe somebody did out there. You get the reference? No, not at all. That's too bad. Yeah, that's that's welcome to my world. Uh, who you got? By the way, before this U.S. Open goes, let's let's pick winners because I don't want to you know jump mm-hmm. on a moving train. I when I threw out winners for the Memorial, I had people like chiming in like after round one, like come <laughs> on. Um, all right, who you got? Yeah, I'm going to go with Tony Finau because I think he's really good at the course. I think he's got four top ten finishes in his last six Farmers Insurance Opens mm-hmm. there at Torrey Pines. Um, I know he hasn't gotten over the hump when it comes to the majors, but I, I I can't wait to ask our first guest coming up in this hour about him because I think that's a guy that if he can stay hot on this course, he's got a chance. All right. I got the uh, unpopular Patrick Reed. I don't really care if people don't like him or not. I like him out there. I like him on that course. He won his ninth PGA Tour title at the Farmers. Comes back to a golf course he's familiar with. It's somewhat different, certainly to U.S. Open setup. But I think he's going to be very confident there. And so what was kind of cold and wet is now dry and warm out there. So the course is going to play faster. A lot of these guys may not be hitting big dog off the tee because they want to keep in the fairway, which means they'll have longer approaches. So the guys that actually can hit greens from 200 yards will be good. I'm going to go with Patty Reed. Coach, who you got? I told you I'm going to take Zalatoris. I like, I'm betting on him 40 to 1. So it's a little out there, but he's had two great majors so far this year. Will the thrill. Keep the big dog hot. All right. So you got Zalatoris at forty to one. I got Patrick Reed at twenty five to one. I see you a lot have of Tony people, yeah, yeah. at twenty five. I see a lot of people in Xander Shoffley. Why not? He's from out there. Yeah, California he's kid. Also, I took he's him also, yeah. And he's also had a lot of good finishes lately too. So I, I think that'd be a fun one. No, he's great. He's he's very good. He's a threat to win a major at some point. None of us took Rom. I don't know why. Maybe just because we didn't want to take the favorite. Uh, Tory Pine South. Is the course this week, Municipal Golf Course, if you don't know that, which means it's run by the city of San Diego. It's really long, really long. It's going to be about 7,700 yards. They got like 11 par fours, uh, 10 of which are 430 plus out there. And like I said, since the fairways are running, I think these guys may dial it back and maybe hit three wood off the tee to stay in the fairway. So you'll get those longer approaches I talked about. So if they can get it firm and fast, it's much different when they play the Farmers, which they do in January. So I think this course will protect par pretty well. You'll probably see the leader maybe at one under, two under. We'll see. Uh, Got to hit greens, thick rough around those greens, thatchy. Uh, we'll have the Bryson story, the Brooks story. Didn't get paired, but uh, you got Phil with six runner-ups at a U.S. Open, six of them. Uh, when you think about the dudes that he's, that, like Payne Stewart he lost to in the first one, Tiger he lost to at Beth Page. Uh, lost to a couple dudes that maybe he shouldn't have. Uh, Goose in a Chinnacock, Ogilvy at Wingfoot, the famous one where he knocked it off the tent. Uh, lost another one at Beth Page, I think, to Lucas Glover. 
Uh, Rose beat him at Marion. He just turned 51 this week, so he's going for the completion of the career Grand Slam. Nothing would be better than have than to have San Diego native Phil Mickelson, who's won three times on tour at Torrey, and to to come up big there again. Who knows? It's uh, it's going to be a tough course. Spieth, I don't know if he's long enough and straight enough to win it this week, but his short game is great. When he won at Chambers Bay, that was out west in Washington State, but he plays some small ball. Dustin's the world number one. He's not coming in. He's coming in pretty good. He kind of you know leaked oil there on the last nine there at Palmetto. But, uh, you know, he listen, he's won a U.S. Open. He won at Oakmont. He hasn't been great at Torrey. I think Rory kind of flies under a little bit under the radar this week. U.S. Open champ 10 years ago. Think about that, 10 years ago. Wow. Let me give you a little a little stat on that. When, when he won the PGA back in 2014, uh, I put the over-under on majors at nine and a half. Jack Nicklaus pegged him at 15 when he won in 2014. You know how many he's won since? Zero. Zero. So he's been really good at Tory T to green. Opening rounds have killed him. So if he can just get around today and not shoot a balloon score, I think there may be something on Rory this week. And he's certainly long enough. He's certainly good enough. And he's 20 to 1. And when you can get Rory McIlroy at 20 to 1, I think there's some value there. Yeah, you're a machine with all this because yeah. you're, you're you're making me tell on a lot of and I'm playing an ESPN game right now that says like who's going to finish better, uh, Spieth or Johnson. I originally took Spieth, but now you're making me kind of reconsider. Should I go with Johnson? Uh, you said playing Johnson. close. You said playing closer to par. I had a question that said uh, how many pars will Gary Woodland have, and would he would he make the cut? Like I I'm kind of struggling with that one. So you saying that kind of helps out a little bit. Um, to be quite honest with you, I I'm not as a machine with golf, so I'm kind of more of the casual guy. I'm learning more and more w- about it, but uh, I, I got my guys. Unfortunately, Jason Day is not going to be there because of the back issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like Finau. I'm very curious because we've seen recently with uh, McElroy, he's had a he, he won a tournament recently and he's in pretty mm-hmm. decent form. So I'm kind of really interested to see how this course is going to play. Not only with what you said about the course conditions, but also, I mean, we also got to acknowledge that the fog delay was there, and how's that going to play <laughs> into that going forward? Who knows? Marine layer, whatever it is, it's going to burn what, off. What even is that? Fog? Well, I marine mean, layer. Yeah. I don't, listen, dude. I, Mister, listen, Mister Science. Um, somehow, when the condensation and the humidity level and the barometer and all that. I think it's pronounced thermometer. Um, I think that when those things get together, it creates that that denseness, okay. whatever that marine layer is. I think there's a Google button on the internet machine that you can search marine <laughs> layer and find out what that is. But I think it always sounds good when you say it because then it sounds like you know what you're talking about. But I, I mean, I don't know what a marine layer is 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 all about, but it's out there and it'll burn off nicely. <laughs> Without a match. Uh, all I'm getting is a company that makes no, no. Know, like river equipment, like if you're going in and fishing or whatever. No, that's not it. I don't know. It's got some, hey, we're listen, Channel 10 is in the next room. You know, there's got to be a meteorologist over there that plays one on TV that would know what marine that's layer is. That's funny because we were yeah. actually talking, I, I think Jeff Booth over there, he does a lot of the morning stuff. He wants to come in and help us out with the, the uh, <laughs> what is, our over under for the, the high temp of the week. I think he wants to kind of record something to actually infuse himself into that and help me out with how to set the over-under okay. on the weather for the weekend. <laughs> I just got a text. It's smog. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. It could be. There could be a layer of smog. Maybe a nicer way to call it is marine layer. It's a nice way, <laughs> way to call it smog. No, it's out in San Diego. There's no smog there. You're not in the city. 
Like, no, this is that's where you want to be. Warm, sunny conditions, right off the beach, hang gliders, all that good stuff. It's got to be a little bit different than the yeah. city, right? I, I've never been there. Yeah. I think the question we have is, is, is marine layer the same as fog? That's my question. And that I can't answer, and I don't even care to answer. No, not so at all. It looks cool. Like when I see the Golden Gate Bridge out there and I see fog, that's not marine layer, I don't believe. It's fog. It's up to high. I have no clue yeah, what I'd I'm love, talking I'd love about. love to learn more about it. Yeah. Um, what do you think? So we saw this, uh, you know, LeBron's been pretty outspoken now that he has time to speak because he's not playing. Um, the fact that these injuries that we saw with the NBA, he went crazy on them. Like it's all about the league and the shortened yeah. seasons and all that and bringing us back early after the playoffs and all that. Kind of like an I told you so moment. Yeah. That's what he's trying he's to. said the rash of injuries yeah. in this year's playoffs are the NBA's fault that these bumps and bruises and tears and sprains and everything is due to the league's early start date. I don't know if he's necessarily wrong about that, but the the math doesn't line up. Like he went off on Twitter. Everybody, you know, he just went crazy and uh, and decided that was the best place to do it. Twitter. <laughs> exactly. So, but he went off and he saw this coming from a million miles away. Mm-hmm. Once the NBA decided to start the 2021 season in December after finishing in October, and he says they all didn't want to listen to me about the start of the season. Uh, he insisted that it, w- it was too early to come back. He goes, I know exactly what would happen. I only wanted to protect the well-being of players, which ultimately the product and benefits our game. The NBA playoffs have been crushed. Anthony Davis, Embiid, Harden, Irving. Irving was a it was, was a ankle. basketball play. Yeah, but it was a basketball play. It was a basketball play. He came down on someone's foot, like on an I, that he rolled an ankle. It's professional sports. Uh, Harden got bumped on a basketball play, not by this. Isn't a guy who like a couple of us now? He had the it hamstring. Wasn't, it wasn't surgery. a non-contact injury. Right. And so I think his math is a little off. And, and, and I'll, I'll give you this. A normal season, 82 games, 24 weeks. Mm-hmm. It's about three and a half games a week. This year, 72 games in 19 and a half weeks, which is a little more. It's 3.69 games per week. So it's one extra game a month. Right. I, to me, this has a lot more to do with than a short off season. Um, now it was a shortened off season more for the playoff teams. One hundred percent. I uh, I personally believe in the, the term correlation does not equal causation. And it's spe- talking specifically about some of these injuries that you're talking about, the possible torn ACL for Kawhi and whatnot. I, I don't know how you can relate that to the short layoff. Like uh, those are just kind of things that happen in the normal action of a game. Now, if it's like soft tissue injuries. And you're playing three games in a week, and it's just because you were running up the court and you pulled your hamstring. I can understand that a little bit more, but I don't. I don't think they're equal in the same like that. Yeah, I think he he's not wrong to talk about the lack of recovery time that might eventually lead to injuries, sure, and pulls and strains and potentially tears. But a couple that I've seen lately have been straight basketball plays, like said contact plays, and I, I can't put that on the league. And it's a shame we all admit that you want these guys playing at crunch time. The, the league, this is the last thing the league wants is their stars to not be in and then for the games to be affected because of it. But yeah, no, he, he went off and with the, they didn't want to listen to me. I, 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 I'm just not in on that. 
And this is this is part of it. This is part of wanting to come back, wanting to get paid, wanting to have sports again. Hopefully it'll all get back to normal. But the injury rates were virtually the same this season as in other seasons. They're virtually the same that they were during 2019-2020, while the all-star players missed games due to injury at similar rates as the last three seasons. So it's unfortunate. And this is happening, but I don't think I can just, I, don't, I can't connect the dots like he's connecting them, but it's a shame. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Here's the menu. Matt Bonesteel, Washington Post, sports reporter, writer. He's covering the U.S. Open. We'll have him on at 1233. He'll have some picks and some value. Uh, we will talk baseball. Reds still on fire. Cleveland certainly winning. Uh, Garrett Cole talking again about the situation with the uh, foreign substance, lack thereof. We'll talk some NFL in the second hour. Jay Morrison, Bengals. A reporter for The Athletic, he'll jump on at one thirty-three. Patrick Schmidt, third hour fan side. We'll do some college football up next. Uh, we'll talk about the feud, Bryson and Kepka, both on the record. But what are they saying? Rothman and Ice on the fan. Love crew soccer? Us too. Let's get married and catch every game together. Proud to be your local home for the black and gold. The fan, Ohio sports destination. They're both former athletes for a reason. Good thing they can talk sports. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. That's right. The feud on the PGA Tour. I enjoy this very much. The three of us listen to wrong an- the best wrong answers ever on the Family Feud. If you're bored... And you want to hit up YouTube and look up the best wrong answers? It's pretty hysterical. I really hope they're scripted because some of them are really There's bad. There's no way. The couple we heard today was name a word that follows pork. And the answer, the, the guy said, you pine. <laughs> what was the other one? Something about countries and someone said France and oh, the other yeah. one said Paris. There's name a country where you might find a woman with a mustache. <laughs> Somebody said France. And then to try to beat the answer, the other guy said Paris. What was the what was the other? There was a third one. Can oh, I say I, these? Yeah. yeah what's something like, you can't do with your eyes open? Oh yeah. What's something you can't do with your eyes? No. What's some? Did he say can't or can? What's something you can't do? Can't with your do eyes with your open. eyes open. And he, and he quickly said, "Read." <laughs> <laughs> Which may not be wrong. Yeah, for some. For, for him. some. Yeah. That was amazing. That was amazing. Uh, what else is amazing? My friends over at Jermaine Honda on Salmo Road, their inventory is growing every day. They got a handful of those fresh 2022 Civics. They got more cars coming in. I talked to Marcello this morning over there in new cars at Jermaine Honda on Salmo Road, just south of 270. So they've got CRVs coming in, pilots, passports. They've got a lot coming in. So if you've struggled with finding the vehicle you want, you won't at Jermaine Honda. So get on over there. They got rates as low as nothing, 0%. More than 500 new and pre-owned. And unlike other dealerships where sometimes the pre-owned is like a punt away, theirs is right across the lot. So you can really go back and forth, volley back and forth between pre-owned and new. Uh, Same-day service. You don't need an appointment. It really is the best Honda dealership in central Ohio. So with all the vehicles arriving daily in that 2022 Civic on the ground, go check it out. JermaineHondaofDublin.com. The feud is on with Brooks and Bryson. And now it's been silenced by the USGA, and they're going to let this thing unfold naturally if it happens. Brooks is off. Uh, 
par on the first. I think he's playing the backside, actually. Uh, Bryson will not go till 544 today. The beauty of this tournament, being out west, is that you're going to get wet. You're going to get nightly golf. So Bryson will tee off at 544 our time. Bo Hogue, Upper Arlington Zone, will tee off at 511 p.m. So we'll have night golf, which is always fun. Yeah, I already see, uh, I know Man and Bones guy, Matt Kuchar's already started off. I think he's one under through one. Is that right? Uh, I think he is. Yes, that's right. That's awesome. That's right. Good he's, for him. He's been out for a while, but uh, <laughs> he pulled out of the memorial, right? Yeah, he had a really bad round. He go like nine over, something like that? Yeah, well, pseudo injury. You guys were calling him out. You said, I think Maddie said, like, what's with that? And I'm like, hey, man, not playing well. Time to move on. But Maddie's guy, Matthew Wolf, starting off. Matthew Wolf, one hundred yeah, through one. two, I believe. I don't even know when. When do our guys go? Have we looked at that? Yeah, Patrick Reed six oh six for me. Finau goes. Finau should be off twelve uh, thirty. Actually, he should be off any minute now for you guys. And Zalatoris, coach's guy, five fifty five. So hell of a little night golf to follow him. We followed this Kepka Deshambo thing. They both met the media this week, and Kepka trying to make it sound like he's like the ambassador of golf. I. I'm doing this all for the betterment of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good for the game. I really do. Uh, I mean, the fact that golf's on pretty much every news outlet for, I don't know, about two weeks uh, pretty consistently, I think that's a good thing. It's growing the game. You know, the younger generation. I get the the traditionalists who, you know, don't agree with it. I understand that. Um, but I think... To grow the game, you got to reach out to the younger generation, and I think you know that's what that's what the, I don't want to say that's what this is, but it's it's reaching out to a whole bunch of people. It's getting golf in front of people, um, and I mean I think it's good for the game. Uh, I I disagree. I, I think it has nothing to do with that. It's petty. I think it has nothing to do with it. Growing the game would be reaching out to young people and introducing them to the game. Not bringing them in because I'm. I want my fans to heckle the other golfer. Like, yes, he's not lying that it's bringing eyeballs to the screen. People that didn't know what Brooks, who Brooks Kepka was, or what he looked like. If you pass him on the street, would they know him? Yeah, he's right about that. The Q rating for him will go up because of the video that went out when he was upset with with Bryson and just the fact that he doesn't like him. Feels like he's. You know, Mr. Science on the course complains about the rules, plays slowly, wears metal spikes. Everything gets under Brooks' skin. This is how you grow the game? Like, you grow the game with rivalries, to me, that are born on the course, not off. How do you feel? Yeah, no, I think it's a mixture of both. I think, yes, it is adding more eyeballs in my generation. I've seen it and I've heard it. But at the same time, overall for the sport, I mean, I feel like you can do a lot more with other tactics. And I think, overall, this little feud they're having honestly we talked about it already is that fun that 40 million dollar fun i think that might honestly be the driving force behind that it could be i think he found an easy target for himself and i and i've been saying for weeks i don't think there's any coincidence to it i think there's no coincidence that he was the good looking rip dude on tour that could hit it over 300 and here comes a guy who puts on 22 pounds finds club head speed now is hitting balls farther than anybody can hit them and wins a major, and it's getting on all these covers of magazines, Bryson's breaking golf, the whole thing, and all the attention, and Brooks is the one with four majors, and Bryson is the one with one. Why aren't you guys talking about me? I really do. I think it's that petty, and here's Bryson's take on it. I think it's fun. There's a point where it's it's great banter, 
Um, I personally love it. I think that, uh, you know, as time goes on, I, I hope, you know, on the weekend we can play against each other and compete. I think it'd be fun and be great for the game. All of it's been good fun. It's been fun. I mean, shoot, to be honest, people saying, you know, Brooksy's name out there, I, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's hilarious. All right. Do so, you believe that? I don't. I said yesterday, I think he's lying to himself, but I think his agent probably advised him of course. to embrace it because the if you make it public that this is getting under your skin, two things are going to happen. You will play worse, probably, and you will look like it is bothering you. And then the more you look like it's bothering you, the more the antagonists out there will want it to keep bothering you. So I know. I think he's lying to himself. I also think... When he said, I think it's hilarious, I don't think he does at all, because the dudes that reportedly were yelling it at him at Memorial got tossed. Yeah. And the Memorial didn't toss them because they were policing it, because they pointed them out to my, you know, my information. So, yeah, the, the evidence is completely supporting your side of this is where it really does get under his skin. It is petty and it's really all that's behind it. There's, there's not going to grow this massive audience that people f- might think it will. People that don't care about golf actually love this because then they can make fun of golf because this is golf trying to protect their traditional side Mm -hmm. and i think non-golfers think that's funny this is caddyshack to them this is this is caddy's welcome one to 115 that's the non-golfer actually loves that golf has a problem with this that's my take on it yeah, no, I can definitely tell that based just off of my friends, the ones that are into it, that are play around, try to every weekend, and those that maybe casually will watch, like the Masters. Like, there's there's a definite divide in how they address it. Here's why it will grow the game. You do you play? <laughs> Not well. Okay, you no. don't, but you don't really play. Not really. But the fact, so to Brooks' credit, but you gamble on it, and so I think now that when he says grow the game, I don't think he means. I'm helping to get kids more interested in playing golf. No. I think what he means is I'm growing the popularity of people who care about golf in whatever way. Mm -hmm. Gambling, watching, playing, wearing the clothing, whatever, interested in the majors. I think that's what he means, and that's why I'm saying he's not wrong on that side, but I I don't think he's... Mr. Ambassador like he's trying to claim. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. You've got to divide it in that sense of bringing eyeballs to the screen versus getting kids to play the sport and getting them involved in, I think, are two completely different things. But this? I think it's fun. There's a point where it's it's great banter. I think no it's way. fun. No. He's lying to himself. And that's why eventually these guys need to get paired together. And let's hope it happens this week. Because it's supposed to. Oh, that, Our, could, be, that could be prime time, too, especially if it's late does in the it, it makes no sense how great it could be. Oh, yeah. Matt Bonesteel, Washington Post, will jump on to give his take and give us some flyers next from the U.S. Open. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Whatever you're doing right now, just know that Bo Bishop is enjoying a sip of bourbon. Even if this promo is playing in the morning, no judgment. Ah, sweet morning drinking. The fan, the hardest working show in the business, or at least at this station in their time slot. This is Rothman and Ice. All right, we're back at it. U.S. Open underway. Rothman at Ice, Anthony Rothman, CB, in for the Iceman today. We go to the Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline and bring in our friend Matt Bonesteel from the Washington Post reporting on the U.S. Open. Matt, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I enjoyed your horses for courses and favorites and long shots story in the Washington Post. Um, and I, it, I'm not surprised that you would be down on Phil Mickelson because of the fact that it just seems monumental 
to be able to go back to back. Now, it's in the area of the country where he grew up, but Tory has not been friendly to him. Does that surprise you that you have the San Diego native um, as far as U.S. Open? Now, I think he's won at Tory before. Um, yeah, he's won three times. He's won three times there, but uh, the last he hasn't won the last time was 2001, yeah. and that was before Reese Jones came in, and now twice has come in and sort of revamped the course ahead of the U.S. Open. And Phil has never really hidden his distaste for Reese Jones resigns. It does it really doesn't fit his game. And he's really struggled there since. So I, I mean that yeah, it would be really surprising to see him do well here this week. But yeah, I mean, even, no one really thought he would do well at the PGA and he won that. So Yeah. It's a dream choice, right? Just turned fifty one. He's finished second at this thing six times. He wants to complete the career Grand Slam. So I don't know, maybe the yeah. pressure now that he's won the PGA and he's the oldest guy to win a major, maybe now that dilutes a little bit of the U.S. Open pressure, or do you just think it's always going to be brought up because of six times finishing second place? Yeah, I mean, it, it, at this point in his career, I, I don't know if he's resigned to the fact that, you know, it's just not going to happen. He, you know, he's just not accurate enough off the tee the way the USGA builds these courses ahead of the open with the rough. And, you know, you really need to find the fairway at the, at the, at the open and Phil struggles doing that. So even if he can still hit it pretty far for his age, his accuracy leaves a lot to be desired. And that might be his downfall here. And, you know, moving forward. Hey Matt, two guys that you mentioned in your piece on the Washington post, Xander Shoffley and Tony Finau really mm-hmm. interest me. There are two guys that seem to get really close in majors, but can't get over the hump. If you had to pick one of the two to be more comfortable picking with this weekend, who would you take? I think I would take Shoffley just because of his probably his familiarity with the course. They were talking on the broadcast earlier about how, you know, he grew up. He was there in 2008 when Tiger won at Torrey Pines. So, you know, it, he grew up, I think, about 30 miles outside of San Diego. So I, I just think he has a familiarity and he just seems to do really well at uh, US Open. He's never finished worse than six in, in four of them. So it, it's just. This seems to be setting up well. His game is in pretty good shape, and uh, and I think he's also he's also a better putter than Finau for the you know that if it comes down to that. So I, I would go with Xander in this case. Bryson DeChambeau, three hundred twenty three yards average off the tee, number one on the PGA Tour. Now he missed cuts at Torrey before he kind of became the buff daddy that he is now. <laughs> um, he's not really hitting enough putts from length, but he certainly is a guy that that could do this again. Do you feel like that he can still play the bomb and gouge game at Torrey? Hit it as far as I can, not worry about the rough? Because when I won it before, I played the bomb and gouge game before and it worked for me? Or do you think this course is going to eat him up even though he is the longest? I think a lot of it with him is where his you know, mental state is, and, you know, he, he just seems so easily distracted by, you know, the rules, officials, the fans, and all this stuff, and and now Brooks Kepka is clearly in his head, or at least he's, you know, at least it seems ostensibly seems to be. So, but then again, you're right. He hits it so far that even if it goes in the rough, you know, he's hitting a, a short club into the green and it's a lot easier to control that. So it might not matter uh, where he is in his head right now, as long as he can sort of keep it marginally close and not hit it, spray it all over the place. Uh I think he should do well. I mean, he won the last one, and, you know, he seems his game is pretty well suited uh, for this type of course. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he did well again. Yeah, you just talked about DeChambeau. I'm looking at the top of the odds list right now. you got John Rahm, DeChambeau, mm-hmm. Dustin Johnson, Xander, Brooks, Jordan Spieth. Is there anybody out there you'd want to stay away from him? 
Uh, Spieth, you know, he mentions earlier he he hurt something his hand or his foot or something like that. And after his hot start to the year, I think Spieth has kind of fallen back a little bit. And, you, and you, he's another guy where you don't want to trust a guy who can who isn't as long and he's not as accurate off the tee just like Phil. So, you know, that sort of combined, combined it, it, Spieth said that injury wasn't that bad, but, you know, you never – Brooks Kepka said his injury wasn't that bad. He ended up having pretty major surgery on it. So you never know with these guys, especially the PGA Tour. You know, there's no real injury list like there is in football. You can't really tell who's injured and who's not in any given day. So it's tough. But I've I stayed away from speed this week and, you know, betting and, and daily fantasy and all that. Matt Bonesteel with us covering the U.S. Open for the Washington Post here on Rothman and Ice. He's on the Brian Heating and Cooling Systems fan guest hotline. All right, let me give you a couple other big boys. Tell me who you would lean in mostly with. Uh, McElroy, he comes in maybe even a little under the radar as a former champ. I mean, he won it 10 years ago. It's a long time. Um, hasn't won a major, I think, in about six years, seven years. But he's been good at Torrey T to green. The opening rounds have kind of killed him. And then Dustin Johnson, you know, world number one, uh, won the U.S. Open at Oakmont, has not been great at Torrey. Um, your thoughts on if you had to grab one of those guys? I would probably take Rory just because he's playing better right now. I mean, he was 18th at the Memorial, which is pretty respectable at the, at the big field. And he won the Wells Fargo, uh, you know, just a little more than a month ago. So, you know, he's coming in playing well. He missed the cut at the Masters, but that, that you know, that's it's not, you're not going to knock him too much for that. So just the way he's playing, DJ is, is coming in. He hasn't played all that great since the, since, you know, he won of you know, his you know last year when he was awesome, um, and you know this last weekend at the Palmetto when he sort of faded on Sunday, which was really weird against a bunch of no names, and it just didn't it, it just doesn't sit right to me that he would do that ahead with you know preparing for a major like that. All right, you, we talked about Bryson briefly. Let me get your feeling on this, and I, I've kind of gone back and forth on it. And I, I do now that the tournament's underway. You know, I think rivalries are born on the course, not off. I don't think Bryson and Brooks. Uh, deserve to get paired together because of this. I also can't admit that this would have been a heck of an opportunity for golf and the USGA to pair them on the first couple of days and just put them in the pressure cooker. Now, the problem is the third golfer would have to be in the circus with them. And so your thoughts on that, was it a missed opportunity in your mind? No, I mean, I understand why it didn't happen. They they don't want to make, the whole tournament about these two guys, you know, especially in the case, you know, what if they both do bad and they're both out by Friday night, uh, then what do you have? I mean, you've built up this whole narrative that doesn't last into the weekend. And then it's just, what do you got? So I, I understand that they didn't want to do that. You know, it would have been great TV for the first two days when maybe the viewership isn't as, as big as, as it is on the weekend, but you know, it I didn't bother me as much. I think I, I liked, the, the stuff after the PGA, I thought that was fun. You know, I think Bryson is kind of leaning into it a little too much, but uh, but it's fun up to a point. And after after a while, you know, they have to do what they have to do on the golf course, and maybe, maybe they'll get paired together on you know Saturday and Sunday. That'd be great. Matt, real quick for a final one here. Mm-hmm. I set every week an over-under on the winning score for the tournament going on, and based off how the course is going to play this week, where do you think the winning score is going to be? I mean, it's a U.S. Open. I mean, right now, it seems like there are birdies to be had on the greens if, if you get it pretty close from what I've seen so far. I mean, 
I would say like four or five under. That sounds like a good score for me. I think the USGA would be pretty happy with that as opposed to sometimes, you know, even last fall when Bryson was the only guy under par. I think there'll be a few this, this time around. Um, and, uh, yeah, it should be a pretty good weekend. Who you got winning it? I, 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 I'm going to go with Rory. I don't know. I just think people are overlooking him, mm-hmm. and he's playing pretty well. He's, he's won it before, and uh, it's long. He just needs to get off to a good start, which is his, his downfall in a lot of these tournaments is Thursday. And then after that, as long as he can get through today and keep it close, I think he's in pretty good shape. I agree. Good stuff. Uh, betting guide to the U.S. Open from Torrey Pines from the favorites to the Red Hot Long Shots. That's in the WashingtonPost.com, written by our man, Matt Bonesteel. Matt, enjoy the tournament. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Matt was on the Brian Heating Cooling Systems Fangus Hotline. I, I brought up Rory to you, and I went back and forth. Um, I went back and forth with Rory and Reed this week, mm. and in my one and done. And I, I wound up going with Reed, just on a little history there. Uh, the fact that Rory does have a lot more pressure, I feel, on him. He puts on himself. Um, and I think the focus will be more on him, but it didn't mean I didn't like him. Like that's he almost slides in at the perfect timing when everyone is all busy talking about Bryson and Brooks, and that's why I brought up like no one's really talking about Dustin. It's Phil. It's Phil. Can he do it again? Right. And then this feud. That's what the golf tour is right now. Dustin, Rory, Spieth, none of those guys. It's like they're just golfers now. They're they're like on the outside looking in to the zoo. Yeah, honestly, Rory's in that twenty to one range just with That's Tony Finau. So I kind of, I honestly, I like yeah. that a lot more to be honest. Yeah, still time to jump in because I don't think he's teed <laughs> off yet. We'll come back. Uh, the Reds, the Reds, the Reds, the Reds. They just keep winning, and their bullpen has stepped up without a key part. That's next. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Two men, no pants. Oh my God! Common Man and T Bone. Weekday afternoons from three to six. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. <laughs> One of them survives on almonds and broccoli. The other crushes frozen pizza in his unwashed sweats. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. All right, welcome back. Anthony Rothman, CB in for the Iceman. And I just had a great idea. You know, since we were all remote for so long, and we lost a little of the niceties that we had at our fingertips at home, I'm... I, don't you think we should have a micro a microwave in here? Well, I, I'd be okay with it, but I think there's one host specifically Chef that would Mike. not. Yeah, I think there's one host that would not like that very much. Why do you think the, the smells would just stay in here? Yeah, insulated? You, know, you know the history of the what was it the microwaving the fish thing? Microwaving. I've the, only I wasn't yeah, here yet, but that's is that what a I've bad heard. thing because yeah. it smells. Smelled. Yeah. 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 Well, the big scheme of life. You're right. That is a problem. <laughs> I agree. But, well, when Matt makes his broccoli, man, that can kind of yeah. linger a little bit. Yeah, you got to let it linger. Uh, the Reds are unbelievable right now. Uh, they beat the Brewers. I'm not going to. I'm not going to bury the lead because I'm not going to say you guys beat Baltimore because usually you can just that that can be handled fairly easily. But the Reds beating the Brewers—that's serious stuff. And Tyler Malley was fantastic. He was he was just brilliant. He was great in the clutch. He had those three straight strikeouts in the third when there were two aboard. Um, Naquin, your guy, Rake and Naquin. Mm. That's a nice piece of hitting the opposite way on a low pitch. Drove in Casty early. Um, Malley had, did he have 12 Ks? Did I look at the stats right? I don't know. Maybe he had more than that. Uh, I think he had a dozen. You're right, 12. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, and Barnhart, who just owns Peralta, <laughs> uh, 
2-1 with two outs. That's a runner first. By the way, same hit as Naquin down the left field line. Votto scored. And then Sims came in and shut it down. That's back-to-back sweeps. That's eight straight road wins. That's amazing. Malley, five straight starts with a win. Better than the uh, Diamondbacks' 22 straight road losses. That's actually, amazing. That's the, that's the trivia question I was talking to you about before right. the show. Is When was their last road win? And it's pretty iconic because we talked oh, about I know, this game. I know when their last road win was. Yeah. One that I didn't think should have counted very yes, much. Yes, that's right. Was it Mad Bum 7-inning seven, seven no-hitter? Yes. Yeah. That is correct. Not that the game shouldn't have been counted. They, they said it's seven innings, but everyone is making a big deal out of a no-hitter mm-hmm. that's seven innings. I, it's great. It's fantastic. But it's not a no-hitter in my mind. I agree I know you. they recognize it, but I, I mean, that's like, what do we, that just seems off to me. Like the pressure of a no hitter is being able to go nine, and when does it get the most? Right after seven, when you're six outs away. That's when most guys blow their no hitters. Yeah, your triple digits pitches in. Yeah, absolutely. Guys have seen you three times through the order. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so anyway, the Reds are same as shut it down. Like I said, you know what? Tyler Malley's ERA during these five straight starts with a win in a season, which is I think Quaida was the last guy to do it. Uh, two point one five. So pretty good. Uh, this is the key, right? Getting getting guys to go deep for them, and then making sure that the bullpen kind of hangs on. The bullpen has been as bad as we somewhat predicted before the season, and the ERA of the bullpen is five five three. Mm. Like Antone was the guy out of the bullpen, and everyone else was awful. And they finally put him on IL, and all of a sudden it's been crazy. But all of a sudden, here we go. They're kind of hanging on. Lucas Sims gave up three runs in a third against the Brewers back in May, and here he is. So they're they've been so good over the last three weeks. They're the Reds are the hottest team in baseball. Yeah, I, I the can't best argue that. record over that span. Right, it's crazy. And you know, if Vantone can come back during the series against San Diego, discovered by the Germans in 1904, if they can do that then all of a sudden they feel like the Reds are going to be there. And I was the one that was skeptical on them. I thought their defense and their bullpen would be their downfall. I knew their offense was going to be okay, but I just didn't think. Now, I will say this. They're not, their record overall isn't like crazy impressive. Four games over 500, yeah, right? Now yeah. It's, yeah, now it's starting to look good. But uh, who's your confidence in hanging on? Indians, Reds? Wow, um, I think, I think division wise, you'd probably have to say the Indians because of the talent isn't spread out across the division. It's really just the Indians and the White Sox. What versus what you have going on in the NL Central with you also have the Cardinals, but they've been slipping. Uh, the Cubs and the Brewers are all up there too. I, I just. Real quick, I wanted mm-hmm. to sidestep because I talked about this in the break with you. So mm-hmm. I'm just amazed at how consistent. And Naquin's average is about where mm-hmm. he's been with Cleveland lately when mm-hmm. he gets pitches low in the zone. I still don't understand why NL pitchers have not adjusted throw high fastballs. That's what he could not hit in Cleveland. Let's see if he can do it in Cincinnati. But he's been amazing. Uh, you get Votto back with recently. Uh, you, you mentioned the Barnhart hit. I'm really impressed with the offense. I just wonder, are they going to be aggressive in adding bullpen depth as the deadline nears in the next month or so? They keep playing like this, they will. They have to, right? Yeah, you can't sell that to your fans. You can't. I mean, you could be a little bit better than Stan Pat, but you can't be do nothing. Like, I, I, I feel like the answer to this is very intriguing because you're right. It's only a two-horse race in the Central. 
in, I mean, the AL Central. Mm-hmm. And the Reds will still be fighting the Cubs and the Brewers and the Cardinals. Like, there's too much. So it's not, I believe more, I actually believe a little more in the Reds right now. Wild card wise, yeah, I would agree with you because I, I think it's an easier pass to the yeah. wild card versus the Indians. You're going to fight with teams like the Yankees if they can get their act together. You have uh, Houston, w- whether it's Houston or the A's, it's, it's a lot tougher that way. You guys won nine of 13. I'm not taking anything away from you. And you've got your your ability, your record when when the Indians score more than four is pretty impressive. I'll give you the quiz next. See how close you can get on your own guys. Oh, wow. And then we'll dive into the NFL. Somebody thinks that this whole gambling evolution could affect the NFL in a very negative way. We'll tell you about that. Rothman and Ice on the fan. The first and the best. Your home for all things Buckeyes, Jackets, and former linebackers making inappropriate innuendo. The fan, Ohio's sports destination. A former country club tennis pro and a high school baseball player. Don't be too impressed. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. Second hour flying by. Brooks Kepka, one under par at the U.S. Open. Swinging free and trying to drop the mailbag on Bryson this week. We'll see if he can do it. Boy, if the golfing gods are out there and they shine on this thing, maybe they could get them paired up. Could you imagine the ratings for that? They're in contention. It would be off the chart great. Somehow that happened, especially at the U.S. Open of all places. Uh, the NFL has done a complete about-face when it comes to their association with gambling. I mean, look no further than where they put a team mm-hmm. in Vegas. After years of saying, we've got to be, like, uh, the most important thing about the games, the integrity, right? I mean, that's the most important. The fan, the fan just wants to know the games are on the up and up. The fan wants to gamble, too. And that's not what he's worried about, uh, the 80-year-old, now former NFL commissioner. And he was the commissioner into the mid-2000s before Roger Goodell took over. But the league made Caesars and DraftKings and FanDuel not only sponsors, they're their official betting partners. Like everywhere you look. And, you know, I enjoy it. I think that it brings a lot of excitement to, to sports. And responsibly and so i know the dangers of it but he's not worried about the fans he's worried about the games he's worried about the players he says that he believes that legalized gambling could lead to point shaving in the nfl uh you chuckle does that mean you you think he's right or i'm just wondering like did vegas not exist for (laughs) all the years prior like I, i don't know like I understand more and more states are legalizing sports gambling, but like if it's just in more states versus just one, like what is the difference? That's what I want to know from him. I assume the difference is that there's more access to players shaving points and making money on their own rather than dealing with some very unsavory characters. Meaning instead of you dealing with some shark that says, I'll give you $50,000, not if you don't lose, but if you just lose by this, win by this amount, then now you almost don't have to deal with that character anymore. Your own friend can go make the bet. 
the fact that it's more accessible. And okay. I said this on the air a while back. There were a lot of people worried about, uh, well, why would this ruin anything? Gambling, people have been gambling on games forever. They have, illegally. They've been gambling overseas on offshore accounts. And it's nerve-wracking because, for a lot of reasons. But if you want to simplify it, it's because when you put in your credit card information into a offshore account, that can make you a little nervous. Oh, yeah. And we've seen sites where the money's disappeared. And there was one site, which I won't name, and I think their owner, the owner of the site was, wasn't he, didn't he go MIA? There was a car accident. He was missing. Um, and so all it is is just a number in an account that goes bye-bye. I think that more people would be willing to walk into a casino legally, a sports book, and take $20 out of their wallet and hand it over and say, yeah, put $20 on the Buckeyes for me this week. I get to put money on on the team that I'm rooting for anyway. It adds the excitement. But if you told that same person, hey, you can make money on Ohio State this week, just sign up for this uh, site, put your credit card in. You'll be gambling from minute one. So I think that what he is going after here is the fact that it will be more accessible. It's legal. It will be legal in in, in most states. That's probably what he's afraid of, that these players will be tempted to help their own cause, not lose games, not throw games. He's talking about point shaving. Just don't cover the spread. Yeah, I could see the risk elevating. I I think the concern could be more elevated than where it's ever been before. I totally understand that. I just, for the fact of the matter that you have ways to do it, if you really wanted to go out, out of your way to do it, I just don't know if it's that much of an impact to where we need to be like, Super scared like Tagliabue is. Like, I believe over, overall, like, this has kind of been the worry for decades and decades. Like, it's possibly, it's a possibility. It's a possibility. I'm not worried about it because I feel like, well, now half of the country's states have legalized some form of sports betting. More likely to come. Ohio is, uh, is next. They're on deck. And the NFL's association with gambling is not going away. It's only going to strengthen. So by him, and I'm not saying he's being like this worry ward. I'm not, I'm not I, I don't feel like if guys were going to point shave, they'd probably already been doing it. First of all, you need But they the also court- need more, more people involved. Well, you need running backs to want to fumble. You need quarterbacks who touch the ball every, every time. Right. And, and those quarterbacks are getting paid so much money already. There's so much money in the game these guys are making. I mean, I guess if they wanted, if they had a friend that wanted to make a sizable bet, but it's, I don't know. Maybe I'm just naive to think that it wouldn't happen. But he played in a college basketball game years and years and years ago, Tagliabue did, that a game was fixed. But we're talking about 60 years ago. We're not talking, you know, so you'd have to get the quarterback. Like, I, I don't, like, it. it's happened. It would happen more, I think, in college than in the pros. Like, I think it would be much mm-hmm. easier to get to have point shaving in college where these kids aren't making all the money yet. I agree. And what if they're not in the name, image, and likeness, you know, pot of gold? What if they're, what if they can go place a wager? And by the way, Gene Smith was on top of this early on. He didn't, he thought there was some danger in this. 
And I'm not I'm not denying. I think there's more danger in college point shaving than than in the pros. Yeah, I wonder why that's maybe why they're trying to accelerate the name, image, and likeness proposals across the country as fast as they are with among other different reasons. But yeah, I, I completely agree. College kids have the incentive to go do it because they need the money. You're, you're talking about NFL players that make millions and millions of dollars every year. And even if you're worried about like the guys at the end of the roster that maybe aren't making as much or maybe making league minimum, like if you're making these sacrifices to do such a thing to make a bet or something like that, you're also risking your job at the same time if you're not performing up to the level you need to be. So I think it's a double-edged sword. Kind of like You have to understand that the players have so much involved in the process of just keeping their job that it would be pretty hard to throw a game and cost that. We've come a long way from... It's almost like we've taken the academic fraud and the SAT score. Like, like that is like so old now. <laughs> Like Derek Rose's SAT scam and like stuff like like it's so. I mean, we've had point shaving stuff before. We've had it even in the '90s, um, but there were guys for I think it was was it Kentucky? I can't remember back in the '90s. Or maybe I'm in Boston. Maybe College. it was Northwestern. There was some Northwestern. I think there was Northwestern, which is amazing, right? Wow. I mean, that's the smart kids. Um, there were there were a couple dudes that were involved. I think in the mid or late '90s, and they were involved in, in point shaving, and and both went to prison. I think uh, this this is. I mean, I think that there's stuff that has happened over the years that has kind of been romanced a little bit because it's been like stuff that movies are made of. But I my fear, and it's not to the degree that Tagliabue has, is you are going to get a lot of money that's hiding in plain sight. This name, image, and likeness. You know, I've covered Ohio State since the mid-90s. You know, if some dude parked over there with a vehicle that looked out of place, it was a red flag. I mean, it was a red flag. Sure. It, it really was. Whether it was whether it was happened with Claret or whether it happened with Pryor, whether, you know, there were there was stuff and there was talk. And now you won't bat an eye at any of that stuff. Because it's it now it'll be investigated and they'll have to have documentation on it, but if a dude and if a dude at Ohio State is throwing around big coin on the weekend and there's nothing to say, well, name, image, and likeness. Yeah, did an autograph signing. Uh, got an endorsement here. Yeah, the school will have to make sure, but it won't be as, you know, red flag to the to the everyday student like wow look what he's driving look what he has look how much money he has Johnny Manziel got suspended for a first half of the season opener for signing for worth $30,000 merchandise he sold yeah. he, he autographed like thousands of items and made 30k and that's all he got like yeah I, I think just with the times of changing and the thought process behind name image and likeness maybe it goes all the way up to the ladder to the NCAA like I think our thought process on it all has kind of changed. I think you're always going to have a chance that dudes will be tempted. Yes. And then when you have the temptation, you have to add access. And if the access becomes greater and it's easier to be tempted to get it done, I that's why I simplified it to just the everyday gambler out there. The everyday person who's willing to put a few bucks, not their rent, but a few bucks on a game on a Saturday, that's fine. But there are people that are in that category that are like, wait a minute, I got to put my credit card in? Nah, that's not for me. But if you say, oh, no, no, you just walk into the sports book. It's cash. You're, you're giving, it's legal. 
oh, okay, I'll do it. Like, that's the thing. It's just more access to being tempted to do it. And if you've got dudes that control the ball and they've got friends, like, let's say, let's just say you're uh, any campus, doesn't even have to be Ohio State. Uh, you got roommates of guys that, that play, right? And everyday students that are friends with the players. Oh, let's spread 17 and a half. You think you guys will cover this week? Yeah, maybe. Maybe we'll cover. Now, you really think you're going to cover? Like, what if it's the fourth quarter? Well, the coach usually dictates the play calls. And if a dude's, like, throwing picks to shave points, it will it will start to raise a little bit of interest, and we'll watch this. But I, I don't... I don't anticipate being a, a epidemic of point shaving. I think you could always have it because it always could exist because the temptation is there. Yeah, no, the outside risk, I think, weigh too heavily on people to make that decision. The uh, The risk will be there for more of it happening, but who's to say that it's actually going to happen? And if we'll find out about it, if we'll even know about <laughs> it, right? also a big part I of mean, it. It's, you'd think in this day and age we would be able to find out, but like I said before, with all of the money being now above board in a way, you are going to be able to shield it, hide it in plain sight, because there won't be the question marks anymore that we had in the 90s when it was as amateur as they tried to make it. Even though guys were cheating then and trying to get money under the table and they were getting the $100 handshakes and the boosters were very prevalent, now it's the bankroll won't be as... A red flag. So I think it's uh, it's a fine line. I went, before I read the article on Tagliabue, I, I didn't even think about it. Like point shaving never came into my mind. Right. And then once he said it, I start thinking about, you know, and then but he had it for the pros, and I'm like, wait a minute, the pros? Huh? I mean, it would, <laughs> you have to take multi million dollar athletes to want to risk their whole being. Their whole careers. I think we had a guy in the Cardinals recently in the past couple of years get caught for something like that. But I, I, you're talking about minuscule, like few cases here and there. And outside of the major scandals you've had with like Boston College back in, I think it was the 70s. Mm-hmm. Sure. There was a couple in the 90s. Like realistically, outside of like Donahue and the, the referees and whatnot, we haven't really had anything major. Yeah. Right. We were worried about the refs at one point. Now he's worried about the players. I think we'll always be worried about it. And the more it's out there, the more there'll be temptation. So it'll be interesting, uh, the fact that he put it on the NFL a little bit. Maybe it's smart to mention it now before the thing really takes off. Sure, and get it out already in front has. of it and it gets into your mind, yeah. We'll come back. Uh, there's a list now on the best receivers in the NFL. We'll tell you whether we agree with it next. You can play along as well. Rothman and Ice on the fan. The offseason is a myth. Serving you 24 hours a day, seven days a week to feed your sports addiction. The fan, Ohio's sports destination. They both like to go to raves with the Bosa brothers. Here's Rothman and Ice. Welcome back in. A little U.S. Open update for you. Kepka one under, Mickelson one over. Bo Hogue will go at 5'11". Bryson goes at 5'44". American Matthew Wolf three under through five. There you go. Vic Hovland. A lot of people liked him. He is minus one. Gary Woodland minus one. Shoffley minus one. Interesting, man. A lot of scores under par. It yeah. makes, me, makes me think like the winner of this tournament will be like five under. <laughs> well, I thought I was, par was going to be fairly protected so far 
No good. They're going to have to tuck some pins. What I was going to say is Matt's probably going to be spot on with his over-under that he said. I'm going to set it tomorrow. What number did he say? He said around four or five under. Okay. Uh, I saw this list on ranking the NFL's top wide receivers for 2021, and I was a little surprised to see the guy at the top. And not because he's not good, but because there's so much unknown on whether he can be this good. And I would not have put him number one. And they put Devontae Adams at number one. First of all, I don't even know if he's the best receiver in the league. Um, And then if you're going on the assumption that Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to come back, well, then forget that. I mean, Devontae won't even be close to being that productive with Jordan Love. Um, I would put Tyree Kill or Stephon Diggs at the top. What would you do? Yeah, I would probably do that too. I'll probably put Hill just because of how unguardable he seems to be. Yeah. Even though, I I mean, Adams is really good. He uses his body well. He goes up and reaches the, the ball at the top of the point. But like you said, without Aaron Rodgers, I just don't know if I really believe that he can hold down that number one spot. He, he really hasn't produced when they've had a backup in there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm he's, a, he's great. Everybody knows that. That's fine. I mean, he's... But... As long as Aaron Rodgers is MIA, then he's not a can't-miss dude anymore. So here's their list. And they've got uh, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs, DK Metcalf, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Calvin Ridley, A.J. Brown, Justin Jefferson. Who's their, who's their ninth guy? Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen. And Michael Thomas. Here's my list. I wrote a, a, a quick list. I put Tyree Kill, Stefan Diggs, then I put Devontae Adams, and I actually have Calvin Ridley at four. That's funny because I was going to do the same That's thing. That's crazy. And you're not going to believe who I have at five. I have A.J. Brown, much higher than they do. Then I have Metcalf at six. Then I have Hopkins. Then I have Jefferson. And you're not going to believe this. Uh, I have Terry McLaurin, mm. then Michael Thomas. It's it's a very real possibility. I mean, he's got Fitz back there that's going to throw him the ball how many times a game. They're just going to gunsling it. Played with Dwayne Haskins, <laughs> Alex Smith, Taylor Kyle Heineke. Allen, Taylor Seymour Heineke <laughs> the last couple years. He's, he's, he's a 2,000-yard receiver. And now that's not, those aren't numbers that get him into WR1, like of the top five, of course mm-hmm. not. But I agree with you with Fitzmagic and what we've watched with him and the fantasy numbers that just balloon when Fitzy is slinging it around, feast or famine. And he would just go all in on targeting McLaurin. Yeah, I think he could easily be a 90 reception guy this year and over, I mean, probably 1,200 yards. Conservatively, mm-hmm. if they just throw the ball around the park like I expect them to do, um, I don't necessarily agree with the middle section that you had there. I personally mm-hmm. had Hopkins at five, um, then I had DK at six, and then I kept it pretty much similar: AJ Brown, then Justin Jefferson, and then I swapped uh, Keenan Allen and mm-hmm. Michael Thomas. If I was just going based off of their list, how I would do it. Uh, but no, I, I think we're pretty much in the same boat, and we're probably going to be the same way when it comes fantasy time. Like, 
the yeah. way that Calvin Ridley's lane opened up once Julio mm-hmm. went out the door, it's it's a it's amazing. And if you saw how his numbers were last year when Julio was out of the lineup, it really didn't change that much. So let me ask you this, because that's why I dropped DeAndre just a couple slots because mm-hmm. of adding AJ Green and adding Rondell Moore. Not that they would, not that Kyler Murray won't say, "Hey, I'm not going to stop targeting him," but yeah. I dropped him a little bit. Just a little. Not a lot. I have him at seven. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned by keeping him in that middle slot, too, because, like you said, the numbers involved. But I still believe in the, in the talent. I think he's got a year or two left in the top of his prime that he's still got going for him. And we're just talking based off of the pure talent. I think he's there. But if you're talking about production, yeah, I could understand if you move A.J. Brown up or if you move up, uh, you even keep a D.K. Metcalf in front of him. But personally, just based off of talent, I think he's at least top five. Uh, yeah, Metcalf was this dude where nobody knew, right? Like, he was this beast of receiver. He was so raw. Nobody really knew. And he is, he has lived up to everything. And he's got, the only, the, the only problem out there in Seattle is it seemed like on days where he boomed, yep. uh, Lockett busted. And when Lockett boomed, he busted. But he's tied to Russell Wilson, and now Wilson seems happy again. And that's his number one target. Metcalf is, to me, now one of the safest picks in fantasy. I think overall, yes. I think week to week he might give you some headaches. And a lot of his talent or a lot of his production came from touchdowns last year. He had double digits. He had 10. Uh, only 83 receptions, but over 1,300 yards. So it tells you his depth of reception is probably over the 20 mark, pretty pretty close to that. Uh, I personally don't love the value for talking fantasy wise. The back of the second, early third, if he slides there, I haven't seen that a whole lot. Uh, I actually would prefer to wait a couple more rounds and pick up his teammate Tyler Lockett in yeah. round rounds five or six. I've had him, dude. I've had Lockett last year, and it was it it became a, a struggle a little bit. Yeah, there were times where he could win you a week, and then he would disappear. Um, so and I, it's tough to have those guys. AJ Brown is probably a guy that. And I could I could be convinced at swapping out Brown for DK and moving them, but I think he's an absolute stud. And now he's got Julio to protect him a little bit. Now it changes his numbers. I don't. He's not going to be a hundred. Not going to catch a hundred balls. Yeah, he's not. And especially that offense, they're not going to be slinging it around with yeah, Ryan right. Tannehill. But Tannehill's That's actually, true. Tannehill's a great late round quarterback if you want to target him. Uh, but personally, yeah. I liked A.J. Brown before the trade. I, I don't love him as much because you're bringing in Julio mm-hmm. and he's kind of that alpha dog that needs those type of targets to really be as productive as he can be. Uh, but I'm, I'm also concerned about the knees. I think he had double knee procedure in the offseason, so you got to always watch out for that. But talent-wise, I mean, you can't dismiss what he's, he brings to the table. Yeah, he had surgery on both of his knees. Yeah. That's I, tough. I, I don't know what the scoping was or what exactly happened, but that's a, that's, it's very important that you brought that up. I agree. All right, we'll come back. We'll talk some Cincinnati Bengals. And we'll talk about Joe Mixon as well and what he means to that team this year. He's not too happy about the updated COVID-19 protocols, I'll tell you that much. That's next, Rothman and Ice on the fan. Hot sports takes and 90-second movie reviews from their dumb producer. Now that's a recipe for success. Bishop and Laurinaitis. Weekday mornings at 9. The Fan. Insightful and thought-provoking sports conversation for your lunch hour. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. All right, welcome back. Some hype about Cincinnati this year. Not not playoff hype, but 
Jamar Chase gets drafted, reunited with Burrow. He's looking good with the knee. Hopefully, you know, once the bullets start flying, then there could be some fear. Jay Morrison, our friend, Bengals beat writer for The Athletic, covering the league with us now on the Brian Heating and Cooling Systems Fangus Hotline. Hey, Jay. Hey, guys. How are you? Good, good. Good to have you back. Um, you know, Joe said that he'll be ready to go week one. It sounds good. Uh, we've debated on this program. I don't think anyone will be able to answer this. But Joe's a pretty tough kid. But until he has to step up and plant with bodies flying around him, um, and certainly Cincinnati doesn't want to simulate that in any form or fashion, um, but is everyone pretty confident mentally that, uh, that Joe is where he needs to be? Yeah, maybe not yet, but I, by the time it gets to that point, I, I, if there's if there's one thing I don't think you can ever question about Joe Burrow, it's it's what's between his ears. I mean, he just he's just got that about him, and I don't think it, most players do have that little bit of a mental hurdle of coming back. But it's it's typically more the players that are, that do a lot of cutting and planning. It, it's going to be interesting to see how much this affects the way Joe tucks the ball and runs out of the pocket. But um, I don't think it's going to be a big issue. And, and I wouldn't be surprised. I know I asked Zach Taylor about this on, on Tuesday, and he kind of said he's leaning toward not using Joe at all in the preseason. But it wouldn't surprise me if they throw him in there just for a series in the third preseason game just to you know kind of shake off that rust and, and get over that little bit of a mental hurdle before the opener. You know, they asked him a lot about you know who he would want the Bengals to draft. And I think he certainly mentioned Jamar Chase. Um, and then, you know, kind of, you know, played company guy because he's not making the pick. But now that he is there, how is the uh, the early returns looking? Yeah, I mean, Joe was asked about this on Tuesday, and he said it's, it's right back. The, their connection, their chemistry is right back to where it was at LSU. Um, you, you know, you always kind of take that with a grain of salt when a player says that. But Joe tends to kind of slow play things, and it would have, it would have been easier to say, well, you know, it's still a work in progress. We're getting there. It was, it, I, I thought it was telling that he said that, that they have that quickly reestablished that, that connection. And um, they do, they look really good. Um, even after practice, they'll, they'll, those two will just start throwing some, some routes and by themselves. And it, you can just tell that, that they've played before, but it's, it's not a rookie and a second year guy getting to know each other. There's just, there's just that little bit of synchronicity there between them that you don't see between young young players as quickly. Hey, Jay, speaking of Burrow, we see that his offensive line took a little bit of a hit in terms of the depth with Akeem Adenaje could miss the season with a torn pec. How much do you think this will actually hurt the depth of the offensive line? Yeah, it's a big question. I mean, they, they, they used four left tackles and three right tackles last year. They used four left tackles the year before. I mean, rarely does a team get through a season with both tackles playing all 16 games. And you look at what's left on that roster. I mean, it was identity was going to battle with Fred Johnson for that backup swing tackle position. And they still have Fred Johnson. But after that, it's rookie Deontay Smith and it's Isaiah Prince who played at Ohio state. Um, He he got a couple games in his rookie year with the dolphins. They waved him. The Bengals claimed him. The Bengals haven't seen much of him. He opted out last year. They've got a little bit of a look at him in, in, Mini camp this year and OTAs, but there's no pads. You can, you can't judge offensive line play uh, with what you see in the spring. So there's there's still a lot of quality free agents out there at every position, and, and there's several tackles that 
they they should take a look at and just to get get a couple guys in here just to have a little more depth if they don't work out if they can't beat out those guys in training camp and so be it you don't lose a lot of money but they've got five open roster spots right now it's going to be six when identity goes on IR it just it makes sense they need to sign a couple more guys just for depth purposes in camp Jay Morrison with us from the Athletic covering Cincinnati on the Brian Heating Coin System Fan Guest Hotline. Joe Mixon went off on the NFLPA as far as the COVID-19 vaccination protocol. It's been a pretty hot-button situation here around the NFL, and the NFL and the NFLPA agreed to this, so he feels like the Players Association didn't protect them. It's kind of ironic to me that it feels like they are actually protecting them by saying that if you're not fully vaccinated, that we've got to protect the bigger picture here, which is the season, the team, the facility, the staff, the coaches, everything still. It's not gone, and they want to make sure that they make sure they stay protected. Did, did this uh, have any bad reaction the way Mixon took on the NFLPA? Did he soften a little bit? I know that you know Washington and Ron Rivera actually brought in a vaccine expert to talk with the players about it. You think this will spark the same thing in Cincinnati? Yeah, well, it, it, that's kind of a two-pronged question there. That I, I don't know what the reaction to Joe's comments or tweets have been because they, they wrapped everything up Tuesday, so we've not mm-hmm. had access to any of those guys the rest of this week. It, it's a little surprising because it, it, I don't think Joe understands, number one, what a union's job is. Their, their job is to protect, project, protect the majority of the, the group not the minority. And right now the unvaccinated guys are in the vast majority. The other thing is everybody saw this coming. They, they, they've said for a while what the protocols were going to be for unvaccinated guys. And then when they officially released it yesterday, it seemed to catch him by surprise. So I think he's just a little slow in catching up in that regard. But last week at this time, the Bengals were barely over 50%. And that's why they wrapped up training camp early. Zach Taylor told them, that if they could get to a certain number of guys that would commit, they had a a vaccine event yesterday at the stadium and they had 17 guys sign up. So they are right on the cusp of that 85% mark now, which will allow them to have in-person meetings and have full wide open locker rooms. So it's, it is a big deal, but I, I don't think anybody was really putting too much stock in what Joe was saying. It seemed like a guy that doesn't want to get vaccinated was just blowing off some steam. Speaking of Mixon, I saw Zach Taylor mention that he will be sharing some third down snaps this season. Now, Gio Bernard's out the door. Who do you believe will fill that role? Yeah, I think it's going to be Chris Evans, the kid from Michigan that they took in the sixth round. Uh, he, he just, you wonder what happened at Michigan because he just looks different in terms of being smooth and his hands. And it, it doesn't look like a rookie running back. He looks like he's been doing this for a while. And, and he's got, he's received a lot of high praises from the coaches too. They, they have other backs. They have Travion Williams, who they drafted a couple years ago. They have Samaj P. Ryan, who was Mixon's um, running back partner in Oklahoma. Um, I, I think P. Ryan's going to be the guy that's going to spell Mixon w- when it's time to run the ball. But I think we're going to see Chris Evans get a lot of targets in that passing game. And I think we're going to see Joe, Mixing still get. I think we'll see him get more third down snaps than he's he's gotten in the past. They Brian Callahan came out and said it during the draft. The offensive coordinator he, they want Joe Mixon on the field a lot more than he has been in the past in his career. All right. So any any bold prediction at this point from you? I know it's very yeah. early. Um, you know we've talked about the offensive line that needs to to improve big time, uh, but it, it is fun to think about, right? It's fun to think about whether they could. 
take on the Steelers and take them down. And like, I, I don't think anyone is saying, you know, Cincinnati is going to the playoffs here, but what, what type of step do you anticipate? Yeah. I mean, I, I think if they are still in the playoff race and not eliminated by the start of December, that's a win. I, I think they can be in the mix to be up around 500 and really that would be a heck of a jump and kind of throw open the window for a, a playoff run next year. It wouldn't completely surprise me, though the way the schedule's lined up, it looks like it's backloaded with all these great teams, but every year these teams we think are going to be great, or a lot of them are, end up not being so. And if, if they can get off to a hot start, they Tyler Boyd, Joe Mix, and Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, they, these are like confident, brash guys, and it's a young team. And it's the team that hasn't won. And if all of a sudden they start winning in September and October, you could see this thing clicking in a hurry and, and just kind of taking off. I don't think the defense is where it needs to be. But with that offense, if this defense can get anywhere near middle of the pack in the league, I think they could have a pretty special year. Good stuff. Jay Morrison, our friend from The Athletic, covering Cincinnati. We will be in touch, my friend. Be well. Thanks. All right. Always good to talk to you guys. Yeah, very good. Jay was on the Bryant Heating Cooling Systems Fangest Hotline. There's... You know, we've got to see their defense, see how that offensive line holds up. But I will tell you this, it wouldn't be the worst thing in history if the Bengals are picking top five again. Oh, I, I can agree with that. I, I'm actually really curious, and the guy that I wanted to ask about was Jesse Bates, and he's entering a contract year, and the Bengals typically like to Norman sign Norman their... Bates? No. Oh, okay. No. Didn't get the reference. Don't worry. Oh, right. um, but he no. ran a motel. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever Bates stayed went, oh, there the, the TV show. Yeah. Is that right? You're close. It was it was originally not a TV show. Okay, yes. gotcha. No, but Bates is entering a contract year, and they typically like to sign their guys between training camp and week one. So I'm kind of curious. He's the leader back there with that yeah. secondary, with a lot of other big names. I'm wondering if they'll get a deal done. Yeah. It's a good thought. We'll come back. We'll do a Buckeye Bulletin. We've got a couple Athlete of the Year to talk about. We've got uh, the men's side and the women's side over there at Ohio State. That's next. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Buckeyes, Jackets, Crew, and Panama Ted yelling about something being too hot. I don't understand it either. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. Rothman and Ice present Buckeye Bulletin. Sponsored by Logan AC and Heat Services. Don't go through another air conditioner breakdown. For fast, friendly service, call the experts at Logan Services now for a free estimate and next day air installation. All right, Buckeye Bolton time. No surprising record-setting quarterback Justin Fields is your male athlete of the year over at Ohio State. And Adelaide Aquila is your female athlete of the year. She was absolutely dominant in the shot put, the Big Ten and nationally. And Fields, as we know, is the 12th football player to win Ohio State's male athlete of the year third in the last three years because Haskins won it and Chase Young won it. And she is the Aquila is the seventh women's track and field athlete to be named Ohio State's female athlete of the year. She had a teammate that won it a couple years ago. And congrats to both of them. Fields we know 20 and 2 back-to-back CFP appearances. Big 10 offensive player of the year, quarterback of the year. Single season school record is 70% uh, completion percentage, too. 70.2 school record. That's also fantastic. in passing efficiency. And yeah. congrats to Adelaide because I've, I've seen shot put done before, and that is pretty difficult. So to be able to win, not only be really good at that sport, but then to win that honor at Ohio State, it's awesome. She'll be on the Buckeye show tonight with Tim. 
And she'll be prepping and training for the U.S. Olympic trials. Wow. There's your... Uh, I just produced a segment for him there. Talk about that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's nice. Listen in for that. Big Ten top honors being named the Outdoor Field Athlete of the Championship. All righty. Yeah, so we got a couple of award announcements to, well, I guess it's a preseason award, so it's not really an award, but you're getting recognition. It's a couple of Ohio State football players. The Walter Camp Football Foundation released their preseason first team and second team, all offense and defense. You had three Buckeyes. They were all first teamers. You have Chris Olave on the offensive side with Thayer Munford, and then Haskell Garrett was on the defensive side. But I was kind of surprised not to see Garrett Wilson's name thrown into that mix. I agree with you. You have a visitor on campus? Yeah, so this is the big one. So this is the guy we've been talking about for a little bit now. He's in the 2022 class, so he should be enrolling as a freshman this year wherever he goes. And it's at JT Tui Malowal out of Washington. It's a little tough to pronunciate, but I've listened to guys like Berm over at Letterman Row. He got it. It's pretty difficult. But yes, he's starting. Uh, he's arriving tonight. And I think he goes through the weekend. It's really big. You really got to roll out the red carpet for guys like this. He's the number one player in that 2022 class. The 24th overall prospect ever recorded by 24-7 Sports. Uh, Defensive end. uh, I I noticed a lot of defensive line players are going to be leaving within the next year or two. It is so important for them to land this kid or get somebody else that can get into the system right now. There are three scholarships under the limit, so they could provide for it. But right now, this is probably their number one priority heading into fall camp. Get this guy signed because he's got a trip to Alabama, I think, in the next week or so that will wrap up his official visits. And you really want him to feel good here before he goes there. So you had USC. Well, I'm sorry. You already visited Washington. That's right. USC, Ohio State, Oregon, Bama. So it's down to those five? That's right. All right. You got a helicopter a helicopter ride with USC. He was yeah. flying around Los Angeles. I did see that. That You usually do that when you don't really have a lot of success to back that up and show the players that. So, you know what? I, whatever you mm. can do to get the guys on the, the campus and sign with you without doing anything illegal. I wanted to give them a bird's eye view of, of the exactly. situation. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's that's amazing. Right out of Johnny B. Good. <laughs> um, that's pretty... So. Washington would be one of those situations where they have kind of a hometown advantage. Hometown kid. Right. Yeah, I think he's from the same area as G. Scott. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? I think so. Washington, I think, would be a contender there, right? And Oregon, what do they get? He's close enough to home. Close enough. I mean, Mario Cristobal is a good coach, but then again, if they really don't have a good season, how much longer has he yeah. got there? Yeah. The Pac-12 would love to have him, no doubt about it. I, it's but visiting Ohio State, you know what they're yeah, about. Yeah, Ohio State's been the crystal ball leader for almost over a year now, and it really seems like Alabama's the real competition when it comes to this. And obviously, you could probably assume that, but it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in that final visit. Because, like I said, Bama's getting that final visit. People tend to think that can sway a kid, but we'll see. It's amazing to me that they've never had a defensive recruit that's had this high of a rating. That surprises me. Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised by that too. And I, I was thinking about guys down the line like a, a Nick Bosa, but Bosa yeah. was like around 10, 11 overall. This is the number one overall kid. I mean, even recently, Zach Harrison was pretty high. I mean, as far as he was a five star. Like, I think yeah. he was top 15. Akuda. Like, there are guys that this dude is the highest of all of them. Well, it's harder to get higher than yeah. number one. Wow. That's amazing. 
That's pretty big, man. Obviously, he knows that, so he knows where he ranks. He's taking his time. He, he said he was going to wait until he could see campuses to finally make his decision, and, I mean, he's going to go as long as he could possibly can. 6'4", 277, and quite agile. Oh, yeah, the versatility to go inside and out. That'd be another freak, and they've had some freaks here recently. And that's the great part about the conveyor belt of Ohio State right now is that you can start churning those names out and where they've gone, where they've been picked, what they're doing in the pros. That's impress that's that's impressionable. So Yeah, and just to be able to pair him with Jack Sawyer on the other side, I mean that's gotta be a nightmare for other teams to plan for. Yeah. All right, that is today's Buckeye Bulletin. We will come back. Speaking of college football. The best job in America. Where is it? Uh, somebody thinks they know, or at least it's down to two. We'll tell you next. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Most shows just skim the surface, but Rothman and Ice feel like the biggest story of the day deserves a closer look. It's time for a deeper dive. Sponsored by United Dairy Farmers. Miss filling up before gas prices went up? Get UDF slow price lock with U Drive. All right, welcome back in. Rothman and Ice, we are presented by your local Pella Window and Door showroom on Gemini Parkway. Anthony Rothman, CB, swimming in our aquarium today for the Iceman. Uh, you have the U.S. Open going on. You have some dudes under par. Mickelson, plus two. Not great, but, you know, that was always a dream scenario if he could kind of hang in there, and certainly he can. I mean, he's only four shots out of the lead, so it's not like plus two. You know, the U.S. Open plus two is just fine if you can kind of hang there. So we'll see. Brooks Kepka tied for fifth at one under. And as I mentioned earlier, Boho goes off in the afternoon, late, actually early evening, and then Bryson DeChambeau as well. So Xander Shoffley. Yeah, Shoffley was my pick of the memorial. He kind of, you know, died on the weekend a little bit. I that was I really felt good about him there, and now I feel like because it was my one and done pick, and now I feel like Maybe I should have done some advanced scouting on that and had him for this tournament rather than the Memorial, but felt good about him. He had a good week. No, he's he's a really, really... He's one of those dudes out there, one of those young guns that you feel like is just knocking on the door and he's going to get one, but we'll see. Shoffley was 18-1. to 1. He was one of the, the better favorites out there, but... It's an interesting place, Torrey Pines South. That's It's run by San Diego. It's really long. It's 7,700 yards. They've got 11 par fours that are 430-plus. And, and like I said earlier, since the fairways are running and it's going to play much different than it plays like for the farmers in January, that these guys may actually dial it back off the tee and have longer approaches coming in just because they have to stay out of that rough. But how do you think it's going to go for the buff daddies of the world like the Shambo and whatnot, the, the long drivers? A lot of those guys are fairly long and straight. That's the thing. That's how good they are, like Brooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bryson, he gets after it. Uh, but he's he's won the U.S. Open based on the bomb and gouge. And so we'll find out. I mean, he can certainly dial it back a little bit. I mean, his dial back would be different than others. And it looks like Shoffley. Was, he, was that a 348? Am I reading that right? I think you're right. Just drive at 348? <laughs> So there you go. There's a 490-yard par 4, and he's got like a buck 40 in or something. Close to it. I'll see. And I mean, and I'm looking at that fairway. I mean, it's fairly wide. I mean, it's not like these things are, you know, it's not a bowling alley, but I mean, it's one of those things where I think these guys are that kind of, if you're swinging well, swing away. 
I mean, distance is going to be an advantage out here. You can't just dial it back the whole the whole day. As my dad used to say, there's no such thing as a layup driver. I mean, it's meant to be swung. And these guys, you know, either have to dial back way back or go for it. And their their short game is so good that if you can advance it out of the rough just a little bit, even get it around these greens, get in front of these greens, their up and down game will be good enough. So, no, I don't plan on any of these guys. Like Xander Shoffley, most drive 300-plus yards, uh, U.S. Open since 2017. He leads with guys like Dustin and Bryson and Rory. That's amazing. He's just a I little would, dude. I would have never guessed I that. I never would have guessed that. That's a that's a that's a pretty impressive trivia question right there. Like you would have been the last guy I would I would have thought. I'm starting to wonder: yeah. are, are we going to be under? It feels like it's going to be under that five and a half, or five and a half. Mm. I would set it at. If you gave me an over under right now, a five and a half under par for mm-hmm. the winner, I would still take the under. I probably would agree with you. Yeah. Which means I got to change it up for tomorrow. Well, no, you got to wait wait till the final <laughs> wait till the rounds in. Uh, how's my guy Patty Reed doing? Has he done anything? Is he? I, I don't think he's I haven't seen anything. Yet. I saw Finau still at one over through five. Yeah. How's our guy over there? Will Zalatoris? Will the thrill? He's like four o'clock. <clears throat> so. oh, oh, that's right. Oh, wow. All right, nice. Indians are playing. They're up 3-1 on Baltimore. Why not? You got to be up on Baltimore. Guess who hit one out earlier? My boy. Can we talk about real quick that base path <laughs> running he did last night? Yes. It's against Baltimore, of course. <laughs> I mean, it's it's amazing. I don't know if you guys saw this last night. So, um, J-Ram, who's batting 340 over the last 12 games, there's a, he took one out, I think it's his 15th of the year. Now he has 16, I think, on the year. I think so. So, runners at second and third, nobody out. And there's a single to right by J-Ram, right? And That's right. we have another home run, Eddie Rosario. My goodness. I think They're just I, teeing oh, off on the sky. I'm not facing him in fantasy this week. I think I am. <laughs> Unless it's the other Rosario. Why do you guys have two Ramirez's and well, two Rosarios Ahmed, both in the starting lineup? Ahmed is really good right now, man. Since he was slumping in mm. April, he has just turned it on. I can't wait to talk to J. Lou about him tomorrow. But, man, he has been locking down that shortstop spot. After yeah. sending Jimenez back down to AAA, like, he has been <clears throat> insane. Yeah, going up against Eddie. But he's going up against J-Ram, so... We're even now. Yeah, I think it evens out. So there's runners at second and third, nobody out. And there's a single to right, and nobody covers second when he gets caught in a rundown. This is a professional rundown. And there's like nobody at second. Well, I think the guy on second started moving up. Is that what he was doing? Like he was following the play? And (laughs) I mean, Ramirez is in between first and second, and the ball comes into the infield. That's the tailor made rundown. And I don't know what happened. And then when he's when he gets to second and nobody's there, he sees nobody's at third. So he takes third. Professional baseball. It's, it's unbelievable. Insane, man. Those uh, guys in the Pirates, it's not, not looking good. So your squad is 32-5 and five, Cleveland when scoring four or more. Um, 5.6 runs per game so far in June. And I've got J-Ram. Would you like, would you like to guess what he's hitting right now in June? In the month of June? Month of June. June hitters. I mean, he's, he's been fiery hot. Uh, Let's see. H, what do you th- how close do you think he can get on these? Like for average. How many, how many, how close do you think he can get? I think he can be within, I don't know. 10 points? Uh, yeah, I think he'd be within. Woo. I'll give him 15. I'll give 15. him a little cushion. Let's get within 15. All right, here. so we're gonna, I'm going to quiz you on four dudes. Okay. 
and I'll and I'll give you I'm giving you the choice. You can try to predict their average, extra base hits, or ribbies so far in the month of June. Average is pretty much the only one I'm close okay. to. JRM's average month of June. Oh, man, he's been really good. I'll say it's a deep dive on these four twenty five. A lot of work on this. What's that? Four twenty five for the month. Uh you we're giving him fifteen. We're giving him a cushion of fifteen. Uh you lose on the first one. <laughs> he's batting three fifty four. Oh wow. Okay. Uh Harold Ramirez. He's been pretty decent. Three I, extra base hits, eight ribbies month of June. What's he hitting? And you said J Ram was what again? Three fifty four. Three fifty four. I'll go three oh five. And you lose again. 324. Ah. Missed on both 15-point cushions. All right. Bobby Bradley. Five extra base hits. Oh, he's been Ten insane. ribbies. What's he hitting in the month of June? I thought he started the day at like 430. So I'll say up to around like, let's go 490. 490? No. No. You're, he was pretty close to it to start the day. 393, which is still pretty darn incredible. Is that, is that including his minor league? Uh, how long has he been up? In the majors, not that long. Yeah, but we haven't been in June that long. When did they call him up? I think I I think these numbers are for what he's hitting in the major. I'm pretty sure it was in like the last week or two. Yeah, no, what he's hitting now. Yeah, pretty sure. Ahmed Rosario, month of June. He's been hot, but again, I've been blowing. Your last chance. Your last guy. I don't have any more. If he's he can't be that much better than J Ram. I'll go. But he's been probably better. I'll say three seventy. Awesome! You got you almost wow. nailed it on the number three seventy three. Wow. Made amends. Well done, CB. You got that one. Good job. Uh, you brought me. You brought to my attention this article about compared to Adam Rittenberg's article on yeah, ESPN.com. Yeah, so it's an yeah. ESPN article, article from Adam Rittenberg, and he's pretty much comparing the coaching jobs between Alabama and Ohio State, just mm-hmm. the jobs themselves, not particularly the coaches involved currently. And he kind of broke it down into a couple categories to split it up. He did the history of the program within the last 10 to 50 years. He also did the resources like the administrative support schools get uh, money-wise and whatnot. Uh, recruiting and the access to talent. So like where is the talent that they're getting? Is it located in the state that they're in? And then the last one was the expectations of the program climate. Kind of how do the fans mm-hmm. react if you're not on top of your game to where you're expected to be? And it's pretty split down the middle. I think he has the history going towards Bama's side very slightly. I mean, it's we're talking single-digit games that are the difference between the past 10 and 50 years. Uh, when it comes to resources, he, he believes the money's backed more behind Ohio State. And if Alabama dips a little bit, they don't believe that they would get the same type of investment post-Nick Saban like Ohio State continuously does. But not currently. Actually, they probably focus Currently, more on football. Yes, but yeah. I think that was his focus is what would it be when mm-hmm. Nick Saban goes, how would it be if they dipped? And he, he, kind of, he kind of feels like that era right before he showed up would be about where they would go in terms of the involvement with the resources and, and administrative support. Uh, when it comes to recruiting, pretty even across the board when you're talking nationally, but they feel that the D1 talent in Ohio is not the same level as Alabama, which... I guess I can understand that. I haven't really looked at the numbers too much, but I do agree that the numbers in Ohio have kind of decreased in where they might have been the past 15 to 20 years. And then when it comes to expectations of program climate, I I think they understood that if you do slip up a little bit, where would you rather be? And they feel like Ohio State's 
fans and the base would understand a little bit more if they don't win a uh, title or they go to a Rose Bowl versus Bama, where it feels like a national championship or bust for them. Although I kind of think it could be a little bit of that with us. Uh, we're getting, we're, we're almost at that point. We're getting there. Yeah, it's weird because I think you and I, the three of us talked about this before the show. And it's interesting to me, you're right. When you go back, I mean, you can't even imagine some of the seasons that they had and what the outcry was because we've been so used to 11, 12, 13 win seasons lately. You can't even now. We went with the transition with with Fick and Tress. Certainly, there was a transition time there. And when Tress came in, he was taking over for four and six lost teams. Like it's amazing to me. Think about. I don't know how if you guys can wrap your brains around this because I was I was here covering it. Um, six and six, eight and four, seven and five. Back to back to back. Ohio State football. You guys think about that for a second. You said what years again? Like early, like late 90s. Well, I was born like in 99, 2000, 01, the transition from Coop to Tress. I was born in 95, so now right. I, I don't really realize it a whole lot. But um, I mean, think about that. Yeah. Think about Ohio State losing 15 games in three seasons. You couldn't you even imagine many, that today. You know, you know, how, many, no. you know how many seasons it would, it would take them to lose 15 games? How many games have they lost in the last... Eight seasons, nine seasons outside of the right. Let's go right when Urban Meyer got here, twelve and zero. What they lose two, then one, then one, then two, then I mean he was single digits. So since since Urban Meyer arrived here, how many games has Ohio State lost, including Ryan Day? That's a good question. How many was it? Not fifteen. Not not. I'll not, tell you that much. Tw- and they lost 12. fifteen games. Twelve. Twelve games. <laughs> 12 games in, what's that, nine seasons? Ten? I, where nine are or we? ten, something nine or like ten? that? Nine, 12 games in nine seasons. They lost 15 and three when back in the early 2000s. And even in some of Tress's year, they had lost three or four games. I mean, it, it's almost unfathomable. Now, here, the, and here's why the playoff really doesn't mean. Expanding a playoff doesn't mean anything to Ohio State right now mm-hmm. because it's really just you're just bringing more people to the party that they're throwing. Ohio State is the host a lot of times now with the big boys, Bama and Clemson, and certainly some others. But the fact of the matter is, Ohio State doesn't need an expansion of the playoff. What do they need it for other than the buy and the rest? They don't need it, but, but they do appreciate the buy. But I don't think they would appreciate playing their first game of it on the road. And I, you're you're talking about we'll be neutral, right? Uh, neutral, yeah. yes. But you're, you're talking about the conference championship game, and then all of those games you could play in the CFP. Like that's a lot of games away from home. I don't know if teams that are at the top feel a whole lot comfortable with. So uh, yeah, it doesn't affect Ohio State's concern well, whether they make it or not. It just kind of concerns little nuances like that. Yeah, it's amazing to me. Now, as far as better job, I don't know. I mean, they're they're both incredibly good jobs. Certainly Alabama, we know what they're connected to down south. We know about all the national championships they have, and they're racking them up. And so... Well, here's my question. Do you think if Saban left and someone had to fill that position, would they do what Ryan Day's doing right now so early? 
Boy, man, they they get the premier talent every year. I mean, it's the top talent. They're always in the national conversation. I, I think that they would. I can't imagine, you know, Bear Bryant, Nick Saban, and then whoever else. I mean, you still have a pretty good connection there. Uh, it's amazing the way it's going, but you're right. The pressure would be there, but the seamless transition so far between Ohio State you know, between Urban Meyer and Ryan Day has been incredible. And I, Ryan Day is a star in the making. You know, he'll have to win a title. He'll have to win a title. Right. Just like Urban had to win a title because he followed Tress. Tress didn't have to win a title. Tress had to beat Michigan. That's what Tress had to do. And then he did it and won a title real early. So... There's the different expectations, you're right, as the the evolution of Ohio State football. And it really escalated after that 2002 season. Really, when when you won that 02-03 season, yeah. you win that title, and that really just well, kind of... Well, they started winning. I mean, they didn't... After the 02 title, they weren't winning the Big Ten right away, but then they got back to winning right, the Big Ten. Right, right. Yeah. And now, I don't think... I, I would say in the last 15, 16 years, I don't think if they... Well, Fickle's year. But... They haven't not won the Big Ten since then. Outside of Fickle's year, I don't think. Haven't won the Big haven't Ten? Haven't not won it. Meaning they've won it every year, right? No, there's there's a couple years in between. Um, what year? I'm thinking of the Michigan State year 2015. After 05? 2015? No, I think... I Penn think. State won it one year, too. Huh. Trying lost to lost it a couple times. Yeah. Boy, but but I mean they were co, weren't they? Division maybe, but not with the conference championship oh, game. Right, okay. All right, that's that's okay. That's probably what I was thinking fair. about division. That, then yeah. that's fair. All right, we'll come back with truth, Rothman and Ice on the fans. News, opinions, and insight. All before breakfast. Rise and shine with morning juice. Weekdays starting at six. The fan. Ohio sports destination. Tell the truth with Rothman and Ice. All right, coach, all you. Pat Shermer, the Denver Broncos offensive coordinator, was talking about their QB battle, and he said both Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke are getting better. Do you think either of these guys can be the future for the Broncos? Uh, Future, no. No. I mean, Teddy, certainly the present. I I give Drew Locke a fighting chance here. Just doesn't seem like it. I mean, he's, he's prototypical. I mean, he's everything that you'd want in a quarterback as far as being big and big arm and all of that stuff. We talk about the arm talent and everything, but you know his inaccuracy in college was a, was a red flag. His strong arm bailed him out a lot, and you got to be accurate in the pros, man. We've just, it's been, you know, they're trying to compare him to Matt Stafford coming out of college, and uh, that he could, you know, read the full field and all of that, and he has the arm, and I could see being tantalized by him, but Boy, there was a big concerning level of of inaccuracy and consistency against really good opponents in college. And so I'm going to unfortunately have to say no because I... And and listen, I don't know why they... They must feel yes because didn't they they passed on fields. Yeah, they took Sertan. They had a chance there. So he's only 24. That's why I still give him a fighting chance here. But Shermer went to those workouts, man, with Fields and Trey Lance and, and... And then they passed on him, so they must believe it, but I don't.
Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with you. I don't think talent-wise they're either the future options for this team. Uh, Bridgewater is only in on a one-year deal. He turns 30, I think, either at the end of the season or starting next season. I don't see that as a possibility. He's uh, He's got a weak arm for standards of the, the National Football League quarterback. And then you're talking about Drew Locke, like you said, who really relies on his arm strength. They're polar opposites. And Locke is more of a guy that he's going to take the chances, throw the interce- interceptions, and... Quite honestly, uh, he, he's too risky for me to want to put my faith in the future of him. I can't do it. Now, depending on what the future holds, where their draft stock is, where they get their picks, that's all going to be little factors along the way that you figure out. But as of right now, I can't confidently say either of them are going to be there long term. You can't handle the truth. The Madden 22 cover that was teased earlier this week, we were talking about that on Monday, the picture of the two goats as predicted by this show does indeed have Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady on the cover. Is it too early to goat Patrick Mahomes? Okay, so I'm I may be dumb, but isn't goat stand for greatest of all time? Yeah. So that's one person. Greatest of all time. So if we're going to pre-goat him, that means one day, years and years from now, Patrick Mahomes will be taking over the mantle from Tom Brady? who has won seven of these and been the Super Bowl MVP five times, I don't think it's going to happen. I really don't, and I I think it's very early. I don't even think he's second. How can you even put him over Montana right now? You can't. You probably can't put him over Manning. Probably can't. And you could barely put him over Rodgers. (laughs) So, you know, really, honestly. I mean, there's you know he's got one. I'm not taking that away from him. Will he be better than Elway? Like, he's still got a little bit to go before we start putting him in. Is he a top five quarterback all time right now? That may be debatable. But those guys had careers and won multiple Super Bowls. Steve Young won three of them. Like, I think we need to slow the roll. I love Mahomes, and he's probably, arguably, the greatest in the game today. But he's top 10 all time is somewhat even of a reach. It's so early <laughs> in his career. Yeah, I can't get there, too. I'm with you. Until we get more Super Bowls, I really can't say that. Did you say, I know my truth? I know my truth. His bank account is bigger than all those guys yeah. right now. Just probably true. <laughs> Would you rather qualify and play in next year's U.S. Open or party four straight nights with your favorite band slash musical artists? I mean, this is easy for me. I'm not very good at golf, so give me the nights partying down with, uh, I'll go to Hotlanta. I'll go hang out with Amigos. I, I'm sure they know, get me some bottle service or something. Absolutely, four nights of that, make that a little vacation. I got some PTO to burn. All right, so qualifying for the U.S. Open sounds like torture. I mean, are you handing me, like, the talent of a pro? Like, is that the deal? Because then that would be somewhat tantalizing to say you'd have one chance to tee it up at a major. But no, this is... This is not even close. You would absolutely take rock star status and party with whoever you want for four days. That, to me, would be something that they could never take away from you. But if you're telling me I'm going to show, I'm going to show up to a U.S. Open and shoot 150, no, that doesn't sound like fun at all. Sounds like torture. Now, if you change this to you get to party with your favorite musicians of all time for four days 
or play Augusta with three friends, I can get there. I'm probably going to take Augusta. I could probably get there too. That's that to me. But teeing up with dudes like this, forget it. No, thank you. And the truth shall set you free. <laughs> Just looked up some of the venues real fast. So they're playing the U.S. Open next year in Brookline, Mass. at the Country Club, then L.A. Country Club, then Pinehurst, then back to Oakmont, then Shinnecock, then Pebble in 2027. We'll reconsider this question in 2027. I was just about to say that. Uh, Patrick Schmidt, fan-sided. We dip into college football with him. That's next. Rothman and Ice on the fan. The only radio station still operating with an active booze cart. I'm drunk right now. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. The fan. Ohio sports destination. If you're tired of hearing about Maddie's high school baseball prowess, just wait five seconds until Anthony tells stories about his amateur tennis days. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. All right, welcome back in. Rothman and Ice. Anthony Rothman, CB in for the Iceman. And we go to the Brian Heating Cooling Systems fan guest hotline. Welcome on our friend Patrick Schmidt, senior editor, college sports at Fansided. Pat, welcome back. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, we know you're in Chi-Town. We know you are a Bears dude. What did you think quickly of Matt Nagy stiff-arming the potential of Justin Fields leading his team out this year. Yeah, it's been the uh, the talk of the town the last uh, couple of days or so. You know, Matt Nagy, he's got a plan in place, and he's really sticking to his uh, cards here. We'll see how much this plan changes between now and, you know, Labor Day weekend or so when the season starts. But, you know, he's slow rolling the development of Justin Fields. they got Andy Dalton in place, so they don't want to rush this process. And, you know, I, I agree with that. You know, let Justin Fields earn this job. Um, you know, and I fully expect he will earn it, whether or not it's week one. I don't quite know, but I think, you know, I, I'm, you know, my official prediction thus far is I think we're going to see him after week four. Uh, the Bears are going to be playing the Lions week four. So I think that's when we're going to see him. But, you know, I think Nagy is a little bit scarred by how the whole Mitchell Trubisky thing went, and he, he's trying to avoid history repeating itself. So taking a slow and deliberate path here like the, uh, like the Chiefs did when Nagy was there with Patrick Mahomes. So, Fingers crossed, uh, Justin Fields fans out just like Patrick Mahomes thus far. No doubt. You know, the college football debate was usually something that they loved. They loved the debate of, of a playoff versus not, and the bowl system versus a playoff, and he used to live off of this ever-running conversation. And then it suddenly went to, okay, we got to have a playoff. So they went to the four, and it's worked. But now it's been like, well, the big boys are hosting this party every year, and no one else is invited and now, all of a sudden, the conversation is not good enough anymore. The debate isn't good enough. Like, they needed to expand for the money and all that. But why Why now? Why do you think this jumped off now? You think there was always kind of this secret behind the scenes that this thing would get, you know, moved again before the contract is up? And do you believe that it will work? Well, the first part, yeah, definitely. This has been brewing for probably the last two or three years or so. It, where it just, it definitely felt inevitable uh, that this was going to expand from fourteen. It, it feels like as soon as they announced they were going to go to a fourteen playoff, the, the first question was like, "All right, when do we go to an eighteen playoff?" It was, it was, it was good, but it wasn't quite good enough for a lot of people. So, um, I understand the the move to to expand the playoff, especially after last year. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to get as much money as they can and. You know, I, I certainly understand that. 
Um, but I, I really don't like it. You know, the, the four-team playoff was perfectly fine in my estimation. Uh, we still had plenty of great debate between four and five. Just look at last year, you know. Uh, was Texas A&M worthy uh, of being that fourth team over Notre Dame? Uh, so we always had great debate between four and five, and now they're just they're just getting rid of that debate. You know, going from four to twelve, they're they're not even you know stretching this out. You know, from four to six or four to eight, they're just going right up to twelve uh, and really just ending any possible future expansion thoughts. So yeah, on one hand, I understand it. On the other hand, I really don't quite like it. Like you said, it's going to end the debate. You're really rewarding access to these, you know, the the college football playoff as opposed to celebrating and rewarding teams for their their excellent season. So uh, I understand it, but really not a fan of it. Patrick, it's being reported that the working group mentioned even a 24 team format. So I want to ask you, at what point do we see in terms of size of expansion, do we see the lessening of importance in regular season games? Yeah, 24 teams, that just seems ridiculous to me. You might as well just have the regular season be the playoff at that point. But um, I, I hear the debate. I understand the, the criticism of, of fans and you know people saying this is going to diminish the, the regular season. The regular season is still going to be important. You, you still got to win your conference. You still got to get to these conference championship games. Uh, I like the, the concept of the, the top four teams getting a bye. I do like that element. Uh, and I do like the the games being on campus for the the five through uh, twelve teams. So I do like that um, bit of it. But you know, I think we're get, we're we're still going to have these, these big important college football regular season games. Texas, Oklahoma, still going to be big. Ohio State, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, still going to be significant games. These non conference games. Ohio State playing Oregon, uh, Alabama opening up with Miami this season. And I think we've seen it, you know, in, in recent years and, and this offseason with teams really scheduling some tough out-of-conference opponents. I think that's going to be continuing to be the norm, um, you know, because one loss in September on Labor Day weekend isn't going to end your season. So it's kind of like an early, you know, positioning move to try and get that big win on, you know, the first weekend or second weekend in September, kind of get a leg up on the competition you're still going to have to win your conferences. You're still going to have to get to your conference championship game. To you know, Even if you lose that, maybe you're still in that 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 mix there, uh, and you could still get into the playoffs. So. But on the other hand, you know, if it is going to water it down, maybe some of these big upsets that we have, you know, I, I saw somebody say, well, you know, Texas Tech, remember when Michael Crabtree caught that game-winning touchdown against Texas, you know, a decade you know, plus ago? that effectively ends Texas's season. Those kind of bragging rights moments where we, you can definitively say, we ended your season with this win. You know, maybe those games for some of the, the big underdogs, the, these super small schools, maybe that part is gone. But again, the NCAA, we, we've seen it years and years, time and time. Like, they don't care about those schools. It's all about the, the big power brokers, the big money producers. So, that element reducing the regular season, sure, I understand it, but you know the regular season is still going to be very, very important. You know, it, it really helps now that you guys have talked about this. It it brings to mind something I said a few weeks ago, which is it really if it now it's not happening this year and it's probably not happening next year. Who knows? But if it were in place this year, it would be really good for Clemson because if Clemson loses that game to Georgia on the opening night on September fourth, their schedule really doesn't provide them with a lot to, to circle back. Now, maybe they would still be, depending on what happens in that Georgia game, if they lose a close one, 
they, they could circle back as a one-loss team and be a four seed and, and, and get in and still have a crack at it. But you're right. It does give the big boys a real get-out-of-jail-free card when you have 12 teams. One loss obviously isn't keeping you out. So, But in a season like this, that that's a big deal, that Clemson-Georgia game. Maybe more so for Clemson than Georgia. Um what do you think of Oregon's chances against Ohio State early in this year? What should we know about the Ducks? Um, not that we should fear them because we've taken them down before, but is there is there an, an upset possibility there? I mean, it's college football. You always got to be leery of the upset, but I, I probably wouldn't be losing too much sleep about it. Uh, Oregon's going to have some some big questions at quarterback. They're either going to go with, you know, the incumbent Anthony Brown, who kind of took over for them at the end of last season when Tyler Shaw kind of lost the grip of uh, the job there, or they're going to have to go to one of their, their young freshmen, either a redshirt freshman or incoming freshman. So uh, that's not a, a great test, to, especially to start the season. So I think Ohio State, they're going to be fine. They're probably going to be like a 17 to, you know, 19 or 20 point favorite in that game. I would, I would imagine, um, you know, the early lines here, but um yeah, I mean, Ohio State is a much better team. Oregon, though, I love their their defense. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, this guy might be the best defensive player in the country, their edge rusher, their defensive end. So, you know, he's fully capable of, of taking over a game, you know, some of these strip sacks. And, you know, we know how much, uh, you know, defensive end play can, can change the outcome of games with Ohio State having, you know, the Bosa brothers and Chase Young uh, over the last few years and how important and dominant uh, they could be. So, He's one of those game wreckers, game changers. He gets uh, a couple of strip sacks, changes field position, gets some short fields and some easy points for, for Oregon. You know, that could change the complexion of a game, but I don't know how Oregon's going to score their points. And I, I know Ohio State's going to be able to score their points, even with the quarterback change. Uh, and we'll see who ends up winning that job. But, um, you know, at this point, I think Ohio State's probably a comfortable 17-point favorite. Even if things go crazy, I think they should still win, you know, you know, rather comfortably. Good stuff with Patrick Schmidt, our friend, senior editor, college sports. Check him out at Fanside. Patrick, thanks for jumping on, buddy. Be well. My pleasure. You guys have a great one. You too. Patrick was on the Bryant Heating Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. Yeah, a lot, lot going on with this playoff. Just, just the beginning. And they're going to give us probably a couple, three years to really digest it anyway. Uh, want you to check out my friends over at Jermaine Honda on Sawmill Road. Their inventory is growing every day. Told you about the new 2022 Civic upgraded radio, much simpler interface, much more user-friendly. It's got more horsepower, more torque, more headroom, more trunk space. It's got those upgraded headlights I told you about. Honda didn't even have to put fog lights on this thing because the headlights cover more road space than ever. So you got to check it out. They do have some new ones over there at Jermaine Honda. Uh, they are overpaying on trades. It's a great time to to trade up into a vehicle like this, a 2022 Civic. So if you own one, you already know what they're like. But, man, you'd love to wheel and deal on that new one. They've got more than 500 new and pre-owned. Same-day service. No appointment needed. That's why you have to buy your next Honda at your main Honda of Dublin.com. Marcello and his team will take care of you over there in new. Marvin and his team over in pre-owned. Just over there yesterday, and the lot is robust. Check them out, JermaineHondaOfDublin.com. We'll come back with an NFL two-minute drill. Justin Fields, we know he's behind Andy Dalton. He couldn't be behind Foles, could he? 
tell you next. Rothman and Ice on the fan. We've been your Jackets flagship station since day one. All the goals, all the action, all the memories. Your home for the Columbus Blue Jackets, the fan, Ohio sports destination. It's time for the NFL two-minute drill. Sponsored by Dr. Mark Levy. Stop snoring and start sleeping now. Visit sleepbettercolumbus.com today. All right, NFL two-minute drill. Bears coach Matt Nagy. Very clear the plan is to start with Dalton and let Fields sit back and learn. It's weird that he'd be so definitive about it. I understand him maybe trying to pay homage to the veteran. That makes sense. Let Justin Fields not have too much too soon. But if if the next guy is up, it would be Fields. I would hope so. So Foles would be at three on the depth chart. I mean, they traded a fourth-round pick for him. He's due four million dollars, so well, that's, they're yeah. not going to play him. That's just a contract you can't get off your hands. Yeah. That's pretty much a dead weight contract. They're stuck with him. Uh, yeah, I would hope so. He'd be the second guy at least to come in, if not the starter day one. But I just don't understand why we can't just let the competition happen in mini camp and training camp and getting ready for the season. Why do we have to come here, out and here, say this now? Here's the deal. I, I applaud his honesty, but even if he feels this way, just go with what you're saying. Like, even if he feels that Dalton's his starter, and he knows it, he doesn't have to tell anybody but his fellow coaches. That's like, true. listen, we're going to go with Dalton. Unless something crazy happens and Fields just outplays him and Dalton stinks. But we can tell everybody it's an open competition. The problem with that is if Fields does actually outplay him, the other players will know it. And then if you're still going with Dalton based on that we feel he was better in training camp, everyone on the team knows your line. This is a, a way to at least be above board that we want it this way. We feel more secure knowing that our veteran is going to take it's his job to lose right now. But right now he can't even lose the job, according to Nagy. And that's the weird part about it. Yeah, we have a report out of Baltimore. It sounds like the Ravens have the contract extension of Lamar Jackson as their number one priority. And even uh, Harbaugh called the extension for Jackson a done deal. I think that makes sense. You want to get out in front of this quarterback class that's going to get ready for their second contract. I'm just worried about what is it going to cost? What is it going to look like? He's going to get paid. He's going to get paid, man. And he probably should. I mean, he's going to hit free agency in 2023. And... I think it's a formality, like he says. I don't, I mean, I have no idea what they could pay him. Do you think they'll make him one of the highest paid players in the league? Probably will be. His numbers say that he deserves it. And he's a pretty dangerous dude. With his playing style, though, are you nervous about it? As he gets older, you take away maybe one of his biggest strengths. So, yeah, there's something there, but... He's still very dangerous right now, and it's a win-now league. I mean, Washington tagged Kirk Cousins for two years. They got themselves into a big problem. And then my Vikes obviously paid him a lot of money. The Cowboys went with the tag with Dak. Then they finally worked something out. So he's the MVP. He's a former MVP. He had a 2020 season that wasn't good or wasn't that great, but it was still good. Right. And so... Yeah, I mean, he's not getting Patrick Mahomes. He's not getting 10 years, 40, uh, 450 million, is he? I don't, I don't is know he? who else is getting that. No, yeah. no way. I can't see that. Um, he hasn't even won a Super Bowl yet, so you couldn't even really put him in that conversation to get that type of money. But yeah, he's going to get paid. I, I wouldn't worry about it if I was a Ravens fan. It's just going to be, like I said, how much is he going to get? Yeah.
Well, and that'll be something we'll probably debate very soon. Uh, Chicago is announcing they're thinking about another property outside of Soldier Field. Right? Yeah, so they've they purchased the land. Uh, I, you know Chicago better than me. It's the Arlington International yeah. Race Course property. Arlington Park, yeah. And it's been kind of rumored for a little bit now that they were looking at options if they wanted to leave Soldier Field. But I've never been to that stadium before. I don't know if it's how outdated it looks, but I don't think it's to- I don't think it's about being outdated. I think they don't like the fact there aren't that many there aren't enough seats. That's one fair. of the smaller stadiums. It doesn't look like one of the smaller stadiums, but I think they only have sixty thousand. I think that's what it's about. I think I think that they want to make changes because they want to put more butts in the seats. And I also got to assume the players would like it too, so they don't have to go into the city. If some want to live in the city, I guess that'd be yeah, fine. Yeah, that's but true. No, they, the Bears, the lease with the city and Soldier Field, it's supposed to run through 2033. So I, I don't even know if the NFL would want to would stamp this. That's an iconic stadium right on the lake. There's something about the city of broad shoulders It'd be a tough not sell. moving to the suburbs. It'd be a tough sell to your fan base. It doesn't feel right. They've played there since the early 70s. I, 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 I understand old stadiums die hard, but I just can't imagine. I agree with you. And I think the last thing we got is Patrick Mahomes. He was limited during some of the off-season program with that toe. You know he got some surgery done on it. Sounds like no problems. He doesn't see any problems ahead. All right. That's the NFL two-minute drill. CB, nice work, buddy. It's fantastic, man. I can't wait to get back. We got Jay Lewin tomorrow. We got so much going on. But, yeah, it was a great first trial run with you. Well done. Uh, H, thanks, buddy. Great job, coach. We'll come back tomorrow. Jay Lew will be in for the Iceman. Join us then. Rothman and Ice on the fan.